The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airways, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV shops or reviews, along with news and opinions on the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a guy who wants those mother-freaking snakes off his mother-freaking plane, because with me is a guy who I just cannot believe has put up with me for 200 episodes of this show, because with me is the Quatsit to my Sherlock, because with me is a guy who is into all the cosplay that goes on on the Comic-Con floor, and of course with me is the guy who stopped a nuclear bomb from going off in New York City with absolutely no idea what he was doing. Can with me is a guy who knows not to fall out of helicopters when wearing a Santa suit. Can with me is a guy who is always ready with a grenade. Can with me is a guy who plays a really mean Max guitar. My co-host and jukebox hero. Can with me is a guy who has not been replaced by a Zygon. Can with me is a guy who thinks it was about time for heroes to wrap itself up. Can with me is a guy who is shocked to discover that his former master is Darth Vader. Can with me is a guy who has a Fear of Horta Party, thanks to the Equals. Get with me, because the guy who just wants to believe. My co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airwaves. On this week's episode, we continue the spring 2017 TV season with the mid-season premiere of Season 7B of Walking Dead, Michael and Tim's review of Supernatural, and a new section where I recommend new series to watch from Netflix, Amazon, and other non-traditional networks. But before all of that, we're going to kick everything off with the News with Nico section. Stranger Things Season 2, Netflix unveils trailer and premiere date. Netflix officially kicked off Stranger Things Season 2 marketing blitz during the Super Bowl on Sunday. During the second half of Super Bowl 51, the streaming network unveiled the first trailer for the sci-fi phenom's anticipated second season, and the 40-second promo is available for your repeat viewing pleasure in the link in the ACC feed. The spot, which is bookended by 80s homages, a commercial for Eleven's beloved Egos, and a seriously creepy Closer Encounters-ish doorway reveal also breaks a major piece of news. The new season won't premiere until Halloween 2017. Much of season 2 has been shrouded in secrecy, although a few details have trickled out. Here's what we know so far. Mad About You's Paul Reiser and Lord of the Rings' Sean Astin have signed on for recurring roles, with the former playing a high-ranking member within the Department of Energy on a cleanup assignment, and the latter portraying a kind-hearted former nerd who went to high school with Joyce and Hopper. Additionally, Danish actress Linnea Berthelsen will play an emotionally charged, magnetic young woman who suffers a great loss as a child. Although she does not live in Hawkins, she is mysteriously connected to the town's supernatural events. Netflix also previously released a Season 2 cast picture that essentially confirmed that all of Season 1's main players will be back in the nine-episode follow-up. And here's the official logline. A year after Will's return, everything seems back to normal, but a darkness lurks just beneath the surface, threatening all of Hawkins. Damn it, can it just be Halloween already? 
Sophie Turner confirms new X-Men movie begins shooting this year. The internet has been a flurry of rumors regarding the new X-Men movie with the title of X-Men Supernova floating around and a synopsis suggesting another adaptation of the Dark Phoenix storyline. Nothing official has yet been announced about the project, including who will direct it, who will write it, or who will even star in it. But now actress Sophie Turner has confirmed the rumor that production will begin this year, and if the Game of Thrones star is set to return as Jean Grey, it's possible the film will see her as at the forefront. X-Men Apocalypse writer and producer Simon Kinberg previously confirmed that the next X-Men movie would follow the trajectory of the series and jump ahead 10 years with the next movie and have a 1990s setting. The X-Men comic saw a commercial boom during the 1990s following the characters redesigned by Jim Lee, which went on to be the basis for the fan favorite animated series and some of which are still being used today, though it remains to be seen what if any elements of that popular run will make it into the feature. Look for more news as as the year progresses. The Lego Batman movie sets a 2017 box office record in opening weekend. The Lego Batman movie was king of the box office this weekend. It made $55.6 million, beating out Fifty Shades Darker and John Wick Chapter 2. Worldwide, the Lego Batman movie has made $92.6 million so far. The Lego Batman movie has also set a box office record. With $55.6 million in its first weekend domestically, it became the biggest opening of 2017. With very positive reviews from critics and great feedback from fans, I really don't see the Lego Batman movie slowing down anytime soon. Silicon Valley to return to HBO in April. Richard Ehrlich and the rest of the Pied Piper crew will return to HBO this spring. The premier cable channel on Friday announced that Silicon Valley Season 4 will premiere on Sunday, April 23rd at 10:9 Central. It will lead into Season 6 of Veep, which debuts one week earlier on April 16th. At July's San Diego Comic-Con, cast members Thomas Middleditch, Kumal Nanjani, Zach Woods, and Amanda Crew teased a more dramatic Season 4, telling TV Line's Mike Ocello that Season three's happy ending won't last for too long. You have until April 23rd to binge watch the first three seasons on HBO Go and HBO Now. Super Bowl historic overtime game draws 111.3 million on par with 2016. The New England Patriots 34-28 overtime win against the Atlanta Falcons in Super Bowl 51 pulled in a 48.8 out of 72 in the metered market ratings on par with the 49.0 out of 73 posted last year when the Broncos beat the Panthers. In total audience, Sunday night's game drew 111.3 million viewers down just a smidge from the 111.9 million who turned in last year. The meter market numbers for Sunday night's historic overtime contest were down 2% from 2015's record of 49.7 out of 72 when the Patriots pulled off the last-minute win against the Seahawks. That Super Bowl went on to report an all-time high audience of 114.5 million viewers. Orphan Black final season premiere date set at BBC America. The next meeting of Clone Club is scheduled for Saturday, June 10th at 10:9 Central. That's when Orphan Black will return for its fifth and final season, BBC America announced on Tuesday. Upcoming episodes of the Tatiana Maslany-led sci-fi series will explore prolongevity and life extension, which is a very interesting and topical science right now, according to co-showrunner Graham Mason, which is what he told TV Line at last year's Emmys. At the same event, Tatiana Maslany took home her first Emmy for lead actress in a drama series. Also, as Mason previewed at San Diego Comic-Con, the fifth season's revelation is that the founder of Neolution, P.T. Westmoreland, is somehow still alive. That is part of the big mystery for next year. I can't wait for this and we will be covering it here on ATA despite it extending into our usual summer hiatus. 
The American Season 5 trailer. When the Americans return to FX next month, Philip and Elizabeth will face plenty of new problems, but they might also have a new comrade inside their own home. In the just-released trailer for Season 5, premiering Tuesday, March 7th at 10, 9 central, we see the married Soviet spies grooming their teen daughter, Paige, for a possible role in the Reagan resistance. First, Paige complains, I can't sleep at night, I have nightmares, referring to when Elizabeth straight-up murdered a guy in front of her last season. But later, we see Elizabeth training Paige to fight in the family garage, with the girl punching a sack of flour like Rocky in the meat locker. While Elizabeth assures her, there are things we can show you. The trailer ends with Elizabeth's chilling words, you have to be willing to do anything to protect yourself. Now, is she talking to Paige or herself? I love this show, and it is easily one of the best shows on traditional television, cable or network. If you are not watching it and are an Amazon Prime member, you can stream the first four seasons on Amazon Prime and watch this fifth season on March 7th. The OA renewed for part two at Netflix. Everyone put your fanned out hands together and breathe out a frightful whoosh because Netflix has renewed the supernatural thriller The OA for season two or part two as it is being dubbed. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go to Netflix and start binging the eight episode miniseries now. This series, The OA, is the first in our new ATA section entitled Netflix, Amazon, and other streaming recommendations later in this episode. These are non-spoilish recommendations of shows on streaming, and non-traditional TV networks that I've watched and think others will enjoy as well. Back to the OA. Released in mid-December, the OA stars Britt Marling, who co-created the very odd series with Zal Batmenglich as Prairie Johnson, a young woman who returns to her adoptive parents from a years-long vanishing, now no longer blind. And that, my friends, is far, far, far from the wildest aspects of her time spent missing. The eight-episode season one co-starring Alice Craig from Tyrant and Scott Wilson, her from The Walking Dead as Prairie's parents, while Patrick Gibson, Emery Cohen, Phyllis Smith, and Jason Isaacs played some of the other key people in her life. The OA's pickup comes days after Netflix announced a Halloween time frame for the season 2 premiere of Stranger Things, one of its other supernatural-tinged originals. John Oliver took out ads on cable news to educate Donald Trump. President Donald Trump loves to watch TV. In fact, it's where he gets most of his information from, and it influences him greatly. He even threatened to invade Chicago after he watched The O'Reilly Factor last month. This is a problem because cable news is not the most reliable or well-rounded source of information, and yet our president is making policy decisions based on these sources. That's why on the season premiere of Last Week Tonight, John Oliver revealed that he's taken out ads on cable news shows Trump is known to watch, Morning Joe on MSNBC, New Day on CNN, and Fox and Friends on Fox News, in order to try and educate Trump on some of the issues he's uninformed on. The first ad, which ran on Monday morning in the D.C. area, explained the nuclear triad, which are the types of nuclear weapons in the country's arsenal, and is something Trump struggled to define during the debates. Later ads will explain the tenets of the Geneva Convention, the difference between global warming and weather, and the notion that not all black people live in the inner cities, and and not all people in the inner cities are black. So if you're watching CNN in the coming days and see an ad with a cowboy that makes you go, huh, you can thank John Oliver. And that's the news with Nico for this week. All right, with that, we're going to jump right into our reviews as we kick off this week's episode with the Walking Dead Season 7B premiere entitled Rock in the Road.
Rick and the group are led to a new community where they are introduced to its inhabitants and ruler, and a familiar face resurfaces. First thing first with this week's episode, it was probably the least painful episode to watch of season 7, and part of that probably had to do with the limited appearances of the saviors and no Negan whatsoever, other than a voice message over the radio. Don't get me wrong, I've enjoyed Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Negan, but his character necessarily is difficult to watch. His psychopathic unpredictability makes him the most dangerous villain we've seen on this series, but it also made the first half of season 7 hard to watch at times, and many fans have left the show because of it. This was a much more hopeful episode, and thus more fun to watch. But part of why this episode was so much easier to watch was because of the contrast with earlier episodes. In other words, you can't have the light without the dark. Also in this episode, I think we might have had the absolute best zombie-killing sequence of the entire series. This moment to remember went back to the show's bread and butter, killing zombies. In what may have been the most memorable slaughter of walkers in show's history, Rick and Michonne hopped in separate cars connected by a steel wire, which was originally purposed to serve as a tripwire for an explosion to blow up a herd of walkers, and sped down the motorway while the taut wire ripped through hundreds of zombies walking along the median. It was awesome and was not only my favorite scene of the season thus far, but it could easily have been the best zombie killing scene of the series to date. There is no doubt in my mind that Greg Nicotero, the show's special effects master, had Robert Rodriguez's grindhouse in mind when coming up with this scene. It was just the sort of true popcorn popper that Sam Raimi or Robert Rodriguez was used in their films to ensure the audience was having fun. And like I said, this was meant to be a fun episode to contrast the darkness that was season 7A. But, but the best part of this scene was not only the the awesome gore and amazing kills. It also served to further the plot and story by getting the group the dynamite, RPGs, and other explosives they desperately need in their fight against the saviors. Something Scott Gimple has emphasized that everything they do this season is to further service the story, plot, or character development. Now let's get into the meat of this episode. After turning to an indifferent Gregory for assistance, the Alexandrians gain the allegiance of a platoon of folk from the hilltop colony who owe Maggie, Sasha, and Jesus their lives. And I've got to give a big shout out to Enid for going behind the scenes and the, going behind the back of Gregory and recruiting all these people while he was shooting down Rick's plan. Then Jesus, as we saw in the trailer for the back half, tells Rick about Ezekiel and his kingdom and the group tries to persuade the king to join them in taking up arms. Ezekiel, however, as is expected, is reluctant to disrupt a peace for which his people have already paid a heavy price in limbs and lives. Though Richard feels differently, as does Benjamin, who's been tasked with spying on and assisting Carol by Ezekiel. There is no way that the kingdom could agree to Rick's proposal in this episode because it would have been too easy and too fast for the story and season to progress so quickly. Of course, this means we now know where the season finale will see us, with the kingdom, the hilltop, the Alexandrians, the junkyard newcomers Rick meets at the end of the episode, which we'll discuss shortly, and potentially a few other groups working together to battle the saviors. My guess is also that much of season 8A will also entail that full-scale war. But how we get to that point of a full-scale war, and what happens that convinces King Ezekiel to bring the kingdom into the fight, is what we will see the rest of this season. Essentially, the two sides preparing for war, possibly even unbeknownst to the saviors. At the end of the episode, while tracking down Gabriel after the preacher man took off with a bunch of Alexandria's foodstuff, Rick and several of his pals come upon a clearing. Seconds later, dozens of previously unseen people decked out in dark clothes and armed 
armed with guns and weapons seemingly plucked from the shelves of a hardware store surround the group without saying a word, but wielding their arms ready for a fight. And Rick smiled. So why exactly did Rick smile? My take is that Rick doesn't see these people as the enemy. They are, in his mind, just people who don't already know that they will later be joining forces with him in a fight against Negan. See, Rick's focus on Negan and the Saviors as the one true enemy means anyone else is an ally in the war that's about to be waged. Numbers and arms are going to be huge in the forthcoming all-out war storyline, as the fight against Negan will become the most tactical and militaristic battle we've ever seen on the show. More than anything, Rick needs soldiers as the Saviors are all trained bullies, many of them even former soldiers themselves. And though we don't know how many of them there actually are, we do know that the Savior outpost that Rick cleared out when he thought it was their headquarters was just one of many. With the kingdom lukewarm on allying with Rick's group, Hilltop consisting mostly of farmers, and Tara not even mentioning the all-female campground Oceanside yet, Rick sees all these junkyard punks ready to throw down as a sight for sore eyes. So who is this new junkyard group? They appear to be new characters who were not in the comics. We know that they are not part of the Saviors, since Simon visited Alexandria earlier in the episode. And I'm almost certain they are whoever may have forced Gabriel to steal the safe zone's food supplies and drive off at the start of the episode. I think it's probably a safe assumption that the person in boots spying on the safe zone during the 7A finale is with these people. So from the previews and what we saw this week, what do we know about the junkyard group? They're a large group of survivors who live in a junkyard that includes a fighting pit that one or more of Rick's group are probably going to have to prove themselves in. It is unclear which side of the potential war between Rick's group and the saviors this community is currently on, though in the previews for next week, Rick's already making his pitch to them, so we can assume they're probably not part of the saviors. And in case you were wondering, Father Gabriel is probably still alive, though it might be the last time Rick ever puts him in charge of guarding Alexandria. I like what this episode has set up for this season. While there's little doubt that Ezekiel will have a change of heart and decide his brokered peace isn't enough for his people, and the fact that Father Gabriel didn't lose his newfound courage, I also suspect the Oceanside community too will join in the fight fairly soon. In fact, the question I'm left with right now is whether Ezekiel or Carol will come to Rick's aid first, or if one will need to convince the other to do so. The new junkyard group was a surprise, but much of the rest of the episode, and really where the major plot points are going for the rest of the season, won't be. But exactly how we get to each of those points has the potential to still surprise me, so I'm looking forward to the journey. The only real question for the rest of the season is that now that Sonequa Martin has been cast as the lead in Star Trek Discovery, does anyone care to wager how many episodes it will be before Sasha is killed off? Also, Rosalie's line, What the hell are you telling me for? We both had sex with the same dead guy. Doesn't make us friends was one of the best lines of the episode. With that, I think I'm going to say that that's it for Walking Dead's review this week. Make sure to send in your thoughts and comments by noon Pacific and 3 p.m. Eastern on Mondays following the episodes by email at acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com or voicemail at 773-809-3363. All right, we're going to move on to Michael and Tim's Supernatural review for the week on the episode entitled Regarding Dean. Hey everyone. 
everyone, Michael J. Petty here. Welcome back to the Supernatural segment of the Across Series podcast, where we're talking today, Season 12, Episode 11, entitled Regarding Dean. And with me today is my friend and fellow amnesiac, Tim Cook. You know, we get a new intro every week. We're, we're a different something every week. This week we seem to be amnesiacs, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, we don't we don't need memory. It's that important. <laughs> so, on this week's Supernatural, Dean gets hit by a hex that causes him to forget everything. You know, looking back on Supernatural after all these years and all these seasons, some of the episodes that stick out to be the most are funny ones. We got Yellow Fever, Mystery Spot, Changing Channels, etc. But I think the funniest part of the meeting episodes of Supernatural is that, generally speaking, it's always Dean who gets the short end of the stick. <laughs> Either he's continually killed, dying of fear disease, cursed by a rabbit's foot, or in this episode, literally forgetting everything about his life. I had fun with this week, and it showed once again that Jensen Ackles will always have a comedic side, and there will always be that comedic element to Dean, regardless of how serious the show gets. And that's something that's come. Tim, do you have any initial or overall thoughts on this week's episode to start us off? Well, I think we can both agree that Yellow Fever, Mystery Spot, and Changing Channels are some of our absolute favorite ones, especially um, Mystery Spot and Changing Channels. Yes. And while I was watching this episode, I continually was thinking, I watched it, you know, a couple hours before we did our, we, you know, got on to do the podcast. And as I was watching this, I was like, you know, I need to go back and watch Mystery Spot. So I went back and I also watched Mystery Spot because I love that episode so much where Dean continually dies. And, you know, Sam even kind of makes a reference to it in this week's episode where Sam goes, I've seen, I've watched Dean die before and this might be worse. And it made me think of the Mystery Spot episode, which is another episode that's very like in terms of the implications on Dean where he continually dies. It's it's pretty serious. But at the same time, because of Jensen Eccles and just because of the way Supernatural writes their shows, it, it, this episode and, and Mystery Spot were both very funny episodes and probably two of our favorites and I can say that this is is probably one of my favorite non like mythology episodes you know yeah what I mean I mean there are definitely some shows that do comedic episodes better than others I, I think with mm-hmm. Smallville it struggled at times to find its comedic element and there are times where it really worked and there are times where I'm like eh I mean thanks for trying whereas with like the X-Files or even especially more than every other show I probably watch Supernatural they can really get into that comedic side both Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki and they both run with it they go with it they love it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's funny because on set they themselves are pranksters they themselves are kind of comedians if you've ever uh, watched any panels with the two lead actors they screw with each other and with everybody else <laughs> on the set all the time and it's it's re- always really fun and refreshing when mm-hmm. they can take that excitement and that energy and throw it onto the show as well yeah so and, and another thing I'd like to bring up is just I mean can we all take a moment to really just appreciate Jensen Ackles I mean his acting in this episode is amazing. I mean, you have a guy who, in the course of one episode, is doing a really good job acting like he can't remember everything. At the same time, you have him cracking jokes and acting like the same old Dean, so he can't remember anything. The personality of him is getting through. And we see a moment in this episode where he's standing in a mirror, trying to remember his name. Yeah. And the acting of that scene was amazing. I mean, you got this close-up of his face and of his eyes and just watching him look around and try and remember like you got this feeling that Jensen was actually like really really trying to think about this you know and so I just like to take a minute to appreciate Jensen Eccles and, and the amazing acting that he pulled off in this episode for sure but I think it's 
it's really hard to, when you've been a character for so long, to be anything but that character. Mm -hmm. And there are definitely actors who get typecasted because of shows like Supernatural, because they've been in that environment, they've been that character for so long, that on some level that ends up becoming the only type of character they can play. But I, I think you're right that we need to see that Jensen Ackles is a good actor, and he can actually bring that performance, not just as Dean Winchester, but as you know, almost somebody else entirely to life. And I hope we get to see more of that as the series progresses. But, you know, that being said, mm-hmm. I definitely had a good time with this episode, and Dean's drunk-like moment's pure gold. Of course, I love the end with Dean riding Larry the mechanical, <laughs> but I have to say that my favorite moment, outside of Sam, him almost shooting Sam at the end, which was also really funny, um, was Dean was Sam making Dean sit on the, on the bed and watch Scooby-Doo, which made me really happy, as I am a huge Scooby-Doo fan myself. For those wondering, by the way, the episode Dean is watching is Hassle the Castle, which is a fan favorite episode of the original Scooby-Doo Where Are You series, but, you know, I'm just nerding out a little bit there. Tim, <laughs> did you have any specific Dean moments this week that stuck out to you uh, that were your favorites? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think I really liked the beginning of this episode. So after Dean wakes up in the park and he's at the Waffle House, that felt very, very Dean to me. Like his phone call with Sam where he's like, oh, let's get waffles. And Sam's like, what? And he's like, or he's like, do you want to get waffles? And Sam's like, what? And he's like, you're right. Silly question. Who doesn't want waffles? Meet me here. And hangs up the phone. <laughs> And that beginning scene where Sam is, or not Sam, but Dean is harfing down waffles is just a classic Dean moment. And then also, um, Dean, when he goes back to the bar <laughs> where Larry the Mechanical yes. Bull is. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely an interesting one where he was at the bar. And I definitely like the line where he's like, man, this is the first time I've had any in forever. And I can't remember any. I can't remember it. And Sam goes, yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that's comedy right there. <laughs> so I, I think uh, I think that's really funny and also Dean's like I find it really funny in this episode Dean's like acceptance of the fact that he just had a really bad hangover the entire night like he legitimately thought that like he blacked out because he was so hungover (laughs) (laughs) and then Dean and then Sam say you're not in your 20s anymore you need to grow up (laughs) yeah right So, I mean, my, my favorite segments of this episode were definitely kind of the beginning of it, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's great. You know, it's been a while, not only since we've had a strict comedic episode, though, but also since we've had an episode where witches have been the primary fo- villains, primary focus. Re- Rowena has been a recurring character in Supernatural the past few years, a character Tim and I both love to hate, but it's been quite some time since the witches have actually had their own episode, possibly since Rowena was starting her own Grandmaster Coven back in her first appearance during C10. Um, I don't remember exactly, which is why I only say possible. I've always liked how Supernatural has handled witches, making them kind of their own species, hence the special witch-killing bullets, separating them from humans on some level, thus allowing the Winchesters to dispatch them without a blink of an eye. This episode proved no different, as we saw the witch siblings taken out by a slightly dazed and confused Dean. Something that I think was interesting about this episode, that I kind of hope comes back at some point, is the Black Grimoire the witches had and Rowena tried taking, or walking away with. Tim, do you think it's possible this Black Grimoire, kind of like the dam, to make a return, and do you think Rowena will try and steal it back? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we have an interesting moment with Rowena in this episode. So her kind of revelation to Dean where, you know, I've seen God and his sister and power hasn't brought them happiness, so what hope do I have? Is kind of the summation of that. And so I wonder if we're seeing a turn of character for Rowena. And, you know, at the end of the day, I still love to hate her and she's going to be my most despised character on this show. And the day she dies will be the happiest Supernatural episode since they brought her on. <laughs> you say that, but we've seen her die before and we were 
were happy, and then that happy just taken away. You're right. It was stolen from us. Let's hope she's not like the Winchesters and keeps getting a second chance. But, you know, I, she seemed very willing to hack a, hand over the Black Grimoire in this episode. I mean, for a favor from Sam and Dean, and I think in the past episodes, we've seen her put up more of a fight over getting the Book of the Damned. So, I mean, it's interesting, and we see that Rowena maybe not act, maybe isn't actually as powerful as we thought because we saw her go witch to witch this episode and kind of lose. So maybe Rowena isn't as powerful as we originally thought. And maybe her ambitions aren't so much power anymore. I mean, her revelation in this episode to, you know, an amnesiatic dean is very interesting and definitely a turn of character for her because we've seen through her, I mean, since she's been brought on the show that this is the girl who wanted to be the bride of Lucifer, basically, and help out the devil for the sole point of getting some power out of it. And her encounter with God and Amara was uh, altering for her. So, I mean, I definitely wouldn't put it past the show writers to keep the Black Grimoire in mind for later seasons and definitely to maybe have it be brought up or be used as a resource. Or I think the book will definitely maybe play a role, but I don't know how much Rowena actually wants the book. I mean, like I said, she was very willing to hand it over this week. She was also very willing to help, which I also thought was an interesting turn of character, especially at the end when she leaves Dean in the Impala and she writes the notes to him kind of like in Memento with uh, Guy Pierce's tattoos but telling him to stay like to keep him out of harm's way but knowing that Dean would never do that she points him in the exact right direction in order for him to be successful and mm-hmm. not only helping Sam but also her and it was very very interesting to see that kind of side where almost like a motherly side where that she's never even really shown Crowley before which yeah. was kind of an interesting concept mm-hmm. also one of the things that's kind of interesting is that uh, well it's just another funny Dean moment but she puts no on the grenade launcher yes <laughs> which is so sad i want that grenade yachter to be used so bad i'm telling you they're they're playing it up they, they are, are building up. us up so that we get like a finale grade launcher moment from dean and it's gonna be epic <laughs> could you imagine if he had used that on hitler though and killed hitler with the <laughs> grenade launcher <laughs> that would have been <laughs> Now, that being said, the last thing I want to mention this week is that there are two specific character revelations that I think are important to note as they may come back in the series down the road. And we've alluded to both of them at this point, but we're going to mention them and talk about them here. First, Rowena mentions that it was the British Men of Letters who drove her out of Europe and towards America. This leads me to wonder if she knows Mick Ketch or any of the other British Men of Letters members that we've been privy to meeting so far. The old man, perhaps, seeing as how we don't really know how old he actually is. On that note, it seems that whenever the British Men of Letters and the American Hunters end up going at it... as they inevitably will. Rowena will be on the brother's side. And as much as I'd rather Rowena die and stay dead, but I think you could agree with me there, Tim. I also, oh, think, yeah. <laughs> I also think them having her in their corner, especially in light of this episode, will do more to help, as they may need all the help they get. Secondly, Sam mentions to Rowena that he's seen Dean die before. In fact, he's seen Do- Dean die over a hundred times in just one episode, as we mentioned before, in Mystery Spot. Not even mentioning Season three's No Rest Wicked or Season nine's Do You Believe in Miracles, the two big moments when Dean died on the show. But what Sam mentions this time is that seeing Dean become something he's not, losing himself to the point of death, is something that's legitimately hard for him to watch. It's actually worse, as you mentioned earlier, Tim. This not only helps raise the stakes this week, even though we knew Dean wouldn't die, but it also serves to remind us of two things. One, that Sam and Dean are still people. They still care about one another, and they're still afraid of losing one another and those around them in this life, especially in light of now Reapers not ever wanting them to be resurrected again. Mm -hmm. And two, it shows that the Winchesters can still die. They aren't immortal. They aren't immune to death. And like I just mentioned, you know, Billy was 
was hell-bent on making sure the Winchesters died and stay dead. And I'm wondering, we've both been wondering if there are any other Reapers on that train as well. They've certainly cheated death on numerous occasions, but ultimately, they're not going to escape. I'm interested to see if by the end of this series, we look back on this episode and see that what Sam said here might actually be more important than we thought at times. Tim, what are your thoughts on these two character relations, and how do you see them playing out in the series moving forward? Yeah, I mean, we definitely got, I think, the first one about Rowena, her revelation that she was driven out by the British Men of Letters. I think that one is definitely a this season uh, revelation for us, in the sense that we now know Rowena's totally going to be on the Winchester side when it comes down to the Hunters versus the British Men of Letters, which, as you said, we both believe is pretty much an inevitability, and I would say is probably an inevitability for this season, if I'd have to make an educated guess about it. So it's definitely good to know that as kind of the past couple seasons have proven Rowena is going to, in the end, be on their side. And as much as maybe we're hoping the British Men of Letters has a way to keep witches dead, it might be helpful for Rowena to help the Winchester brothers and maybe we'll get Rowena's death in the in the end of the season. That would be nice because, I mean, I think every time she's been on the show since we've started the podcast or since, you know, since we've had a chance to talk about her, we bring up how much we wish they'd kill her off. Although she wasn't actually horrible to me. No, she was not, yes. And then the other revelation is a pretty big one, that they have seen each other die multiple times. And Sam is like, yeah, this one's worse. And Sam has watched Dean die hundreds of times. And, you know, whether or not those are the deaths he's referring to, I'm sure that has left a mark on him in terms of how Sam views Dean. And and this was a good episode to kind of bring them back a little bit in terms of making them seem a little bit more human and, and going up against the monsters that aren't, you know, universe ending like God and Amara are, but kind of just going up regular witches and how at the end of the day, everything Sam and Dean do is still dangerous. And, you know, Sam and Dean are still, you know, they've still hunted the best and they've killed some of the, the world's kind of premier monsters in terms of like going after Lucifer, in terms of going after Amara. I mean, they've taken on some really powerful stuff. I mean, heck, Dean's killed death itself, but we see in this episode that death isn't the only way to get to the Winchesters. Um, we kind of saw that in the mid-season too when, you know, they were stuck in solitary and they were willing to make a deal for one of them to die just to get out of there. So, you know, we definitely see that the D- the Winchesters aren't indestructible and that they are still human, which is kind of bringing it back, which is nice. And I also think that there there is another kind of revelation in this episode towards the end. And, you know, I mean, we do talk about, you know, they're not immune to death anymore and and so yeah i mean it was definitely some good revelations to see and hopefully they'll be carried on through the series as we move forward yeah again i almost wonder if what sam says here will will be something that comes into play by the time the series ends up ending in a similar vein to season three when dean saw an evil demonic version of himself that said this is what you're going to become when you die and then of course in season nine he dies and becomes a demon whether or not the writers intended on that connection or not that's what ended up happening that's if you look back on the series, there's a lot of foreshadowing there going on, even with that storyline. And I mm-hmm. that's why I bring that up, because... You know, you, n- you never know. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the other thing, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I, I kind of lost track of my thought there. But uh, what I what I wanted to say is there's another revelation right at the end when Sam's talking about, he's like, I was almost jealous of you, Dean, when you you seemed happy, when you couldn't remember all the stuff we've done in the past. Yeah. And Dean was like, yeah, but if not remembering everything is what I have to sacrifice for happiness, then happiness isn't worth it. I mean, Sam and Dean could have their memories wiped and they could be happy, but they don't want to. This is their life, and this is the life they're
their living. And in this episode, we see Dean very much be like, no, I would rather be miserable and continue to do what we're doing than be happy. So, I mean, we see the Winchester brothers kind of rededicating to the purpose that they've set out to do for the last 11 seasons. Well, and we've seen both Sam and before. We've, yeah. seen, we've seen Dean come out of that world that the Jin created for him, that world of perfect happiness that he found out wasn't really all that perfect because he didn't have that relationship brother. He, you know, when Sam came back in season six, he left Ben and Lisa to go hunt again with Sam. And even likewise, when Dean came back in season eight, Sam decided to give up on his own happiness and go and hunt his brother once again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've, we've seen that. Ha- that's been a recurring theme on the show. The, I'm going to sacrifice my own happiness, not just my life. We've done that and we've been down that road, but also my happiness because yeah. this is what we were born to. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely, that's on a lot of love on the show. Yeah. Well, do you have any other thoughts on this week's episode, Tim? You know, just to summarize, I think this was a really good episode. It was a deep episode for sure. That definitely gave us a lot of insight into Dean. You know, at the same time, it was definitely a funny episode that is up there with some of the other really comedic episodes that kind of focus on the brothers. So I, it was definitely a very enjoyable one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I think regarding Dean will be an episode that we'll definitely have to regard again in the future. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for your review on Supernatural. Now I'm going to go and start a new section, a section of for shows from Netflix, Amazon, and other non-traditional TV networks. And we're going to kick that section off this week with the series from Netflix entitled The OA, which included eight episodes. Told in flashbacks, this series of eight episodes tells of events that happened to Prairie, or OA, while she was missing for seven years. The catch is, when she disappeared, she was blind, but she returns being able to see. Knowing details about Netflix's newest sci-fi mystery series, The OA, before watching it won't ruin the mystery. In fact, as with many respectable entries in the genre, the more you learn, the more questions you'll actually have. But knowing more than a few basic facts will certainly make each successive revelation a lot less fun, so know that the following review will contain as few spoilers as possible to preserve the experience for all of you. Here's what you should know going in. The OA, which is now on Netflix, after a surprise trailer and date announcement just five days before its launch, is an eight-part series from Britt Marling and Zal Batmenglich, the duo responsible for the indie thrillers The East and Sound of My Voice. Directed by Batmenglich, it stars Marling as Prairie Johnson, a blind woman missing for nearly eight years who returns to her hometown with her sight completely restored. She's got mysterious scars on her back and refuses to open up to the FBI, or even her family, about what happened while she was gone. But after recruiting an open-minded motley crew of lost souls from her hometown, she lets them in on not only the events that occurred while she was held captive with another group of misfits, but on her entire personal history and where they factor into her new quest. Follow the link in the ACC feed now to view the trailer for the series. And as we saw in that trailer, Prairie, who now goes by the OA, is the subject of a likely illicit science experiment run by Jason Isaacs, most notably known to many as Harry Potter's Lucius Malfoy. So we'll expect the worst from him. Yes, there are more than a few parallels to Netflix's undisputed breakout hit of 2016, Stranger Things. They certainly both benefit from the air of mystery surrounding each project, but while Stranger Things is an homage to genre movies from the 80s, the OA has much more in common with the unsettling realistic present-day indie thrillers of Marling and Batmingledge and their contemporaries. The story of the OA shares plenty of DNA with Marling's other works, especially Another Earth and Sound of My Voice. And while there are no otherworldly demogorgons, 
present, the later reveals of the OA are possibly more difficult to explain despite containing few elements found outside of our everyday lives. The OA also benefits from the freedom of streaming. While plenty of non-traditional TV shows are guilty of padding episodes just because, the OA uses the format to its advantage. The structure of the first episode, in particular, is set up like a typical TV drama until it isn't. And while most installations stick to an hour long, give or take, one of the last episodes is just 30 minutes, the perfect length for that particular chapter of the story. The series strikes a nice balance between diving deep enough into the backstories of all members of the ensemble to form emotional attachments to them while still making it clear who and what is the star of the show, Prairie, aka the OA. There are two parallel ensembles at work here, the group of misfits who sign on to help the OA with her mission, and the group of misfits who are being held captive alongside her. The OA is an unnervingly realistic yet still fantastical exploration of morality, of art, of the truth of reality, of survival, and most of all, of hope. While most elements of the story go frustratingly unexplored, and you'll find yourself scratching your head at some of the revelations, you also can't help but become entranced by the world that Batman, Lynch, and Marling have created, and how it looks so much like our own. I highly recommend this series, especially to those that like a series that feels both realistic and yet fantastical at the same time. Okay, this is going to be a new section that I include as I finish new series on Netflix, Amazon, and other non-traditional networks. I've finished a few series already, which will get a short review and recommendation in the next few weeks, so keep an eye out for those. But with that, we're going to move into the closing now. On next week's episode, we will continue the spring 2017 TV season with a review of Walking Dead, an episode of Supernatural from Michael Tim, and another streaming recommendation along with more news with Nico. Also, DC Nation continues with episodes of Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, and DC Legends, but no Gotham, which is still on a three-month hiatus, so make sure to join us for that. Also, keep an eye out for Steve, Wu, and Nikki, and the rest of the Marvelverse crew doing the Marvelverse podcasts and their coverage of the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universes. But for now, and most of the season, let's roll Dan's pre-recorded closing. Get at our Across the Airways podcast. Get at our website. AcrossTheAirways.com. Get at Across the Airways Com. You can check out all of our podcast shows, available as their own individual programs, get the iTunes Store, get Google Play Store. Guys, for the podcast shows, cut our network. We have the DC Nation podcast, located at dcnation.acrosstheairwaves.com. Again, that's dcnation.acrosstheairwaves.com, which reviews popular DC Comics-related TV shows and movies. There's also the Marvelverse podcast, located at marvelversepodcast.acrosstheairwaves.com. Again, that's marvelversepodcast.acrosstheairwaves.com, which reviews Marvel Comics related TV shows and movies. And we also have Thronescast, our podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheairwaves.com. Again, that's thronescast.acrosstheairwaves.com. In addition to these programs, you can listen to the original Across the Airways podcast, which is accessible at acrosstheairwaves.com, which reviews TV shows not related to superheroes, core Game of Thrones, like The Walking Dead, Doctor Who, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, and more, including sitcoms such as the Big Bang Theory and the Muppets. Also, you can listen to Across the Airways, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, the Game of Thrones podcast, and the Marvelverse podcast, and the Mixed Radio Station, code by Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the Podcast Box app. And if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our apps from the Amazon Marketplace, and the Windows Marketplace, and a regular Windows or Windows Phone app. Because for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback, got the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can improve 
Cure Podcast listening experience, or just want to say, do you like what we're doing? Email us at acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, got Across the Airwaves. There's no thought in there. It's just Across the Airwaves. Join our circle, Guy Google Plus, or leave us a voicemail by calling 773-809-3363. Again, it's 773-809-3363. Also, when sending us an email, please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Get the subject line. Give you our sending us listener feedback you want us to read. God, the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies and television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Con, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. So once again, for the other ATA podcast hosts, Nikki, Amy, Wu Kim, Joshua Mercury, James Heffel, Steve Nostro, Michael J. Petty, I'm Nico Reistek, and until our next episode, we'll catch you on the airwaves. See you guys, and thanks for joining us for another episode of ATA covering Walking Dead, Supernatural, and our new streaming section. See ya! Broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round And you can't find a fighter But I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out Move mountains We gon' walk it out and move And I'll rise up, I'll rise like the day I'll rise up, I'll rise unafraid I'll rise up, and I'll do it a thousand times again And I'll rise up, I'll like the waves I'll rise up, in spite of the ache I'll rise up, and I'll do it a thousand Now return to our regularly scheduled program.